Hi everybody, this is Jim Ford. And I'm Dan Kritsky. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 23. Now, before we do anything else, we got an email recently that, you know, we're going to address here because, you know, if, if one person cared enough to point it out and say something about it, there's probably other people that also care but didn't say anything, so... You know, this this is just going to be in general to those who feel the same way. Um, I have the email here. Uh, da, 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 da. The relevant part here is, uh, the only part of your podcast that I do not enjoy is that occasionally you guys let loose with the filthy language. If you could, for those of us who do not enjoy listening to that type of language, please watch what you say. I understand it is normal for you, but it is not for some of us. Thank you for otherwise producing a really good podcast. And I'm not going to say who it was because I don't want them to feel like we're singling them out because we're not. Um, yeah, we really haven't discussed this. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Um, my thoughts have always kind of been to try and watch what I say. Like, there, there are times where I probably do, you know, use some language that's probably not suitable for everybody. But I kind of do try and, uh, you know, keep what I'm saying, you know, not too... Not too bad, because you know it's a Green Lantern podcast. It's it's about fun. It, it should be something that anybody could listen to without having to worry about that. That was always my kind of thought on that. Yeah, you know, I feel like pretty much all of our swearing comes from me. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I'll be honest. My knee jerk reaction was, you know, this is just how I talk. You'll have to deal with it. And, and I mean, it is how I normally talk. Anyone who knows me can vouch for that. And I don't do it just to do it. My honest opinion is that we have these words because sometimes the alternatives just aren't strong enough to accurately express how we feel. Uh, but then I started thinking about how when we started this show, we were going to make it all ages in terms of language. And, uh, and then, like, pretty much everything else about the original format of the show, that kind of faded away. <laughs> um, but, you know, I can understand where the writer of this letter and is coming from. Um I can't promise I'll be keeping it clean all the time. I can make a conscious effort. I can try. I mean, I can... I'll substitute friggin' for the F word and all that, but... (laughs) I will say, though, that if you're the kind of person who counts words like hell or damn or crap up there with, like, the worst, like, the F word and the S word and all that, whatever, you're gonna be out of luck. Because those are two... Those are too big a part of my vocabulary to cut out. Like, there's absolutely no way I can sit down and have a conversation with Jim about anything for any length of time without saying those. Yeah, well, I think you basically have to look at it like if they say it on television around prime time, then it's it's pretty much going to be, you know, open game for us to talk about. But... You know, we're going to try and avoid the stuff that they can say, you know, on basic cable later on at night, if that makes any sense. Mm, I don't really watch new TV. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure they know? get the point, though. Yeah, on, on Comedy Central, like, after 10 o'clock or so, they can say basically anything they want to say, and you're not going to get that from the Lantern cast. Uh. Unless we slip up. In which case, we apologize in advance. We can't do what South Park did and, like, say, like, the S-word, like, 250 times in one episode. 
I just think that's a bad idea. Oh, uh, but they had a little counter. Yeah, but you remember what happened at the end of that episode. Oh, we were due for an apocalypse. Uh, okay, so now that we've addressed that, what do you say we get to the news? Yeah. Hey, hey, everybody, remember how Blackest Night tie-ins were kind of limited to, well, here's a three-issue Superman miniseries, and here's a three-issue Flash thing, and all that? Yeah, not so much. <laughs> there are... How many are there here? I think there's only seven? Seven. Six? Yeah, seven or eight of them. Well, not not counting, you know, Blackest Night, the miniseries, and Green Lantern and Green Lantern Corps. There's something like seven or eight tie-in books we're looking at. Let's see. Adventure Comics number four, Booster Gold 26, Doom Patrol 4, Justice League of America 39, Superman Batman 66, Rebels 10, Teton Titans 77, uh, Outsiders 24. And this is in the, the November previews solicitations for books shipping in November. So it's 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 odd. I mean... I really thought that that the Blackest Night Times were going to be contained to those miniseries. Like, like, do you think like this kind of invalidates them taking the miniseries approach? Or I kind of think it's odd that they would come out with the miniseries, but then also have it tie into the regular series. Although, like, by the same token. I kind of enjoy when something like this crosses over into the regular series, only because like it's it shows that you know with a miniseries it could take place whenever. Basically, you know it could be running, it'll be running alongside you know the the main event miniseries, but it could be taking place at any point in the actual comic. Whereas when it yeah. actually crosses over into the comic, it's like, this is happening now. You know, deal with the repercussions now, kind of thing. Yeah. And now, pretty much across the board, none of these, you know, single issues being advertised here have tie-in miniseries, like the three-issue things of their own. I mean, the closest one is Teen Titans. But when I think about it, you know, the... The miniseries is just, the three-issue thing is just called Blackest Night Titans, which I had assumed was going to encompass, you know, the the adult team with, you know, you know, Cyborg and Starfire and all those people. Right. As well as the Teen Titans, but maybe the three issues is just about the adult team, and here's where the teens are coming in. Well, the, the other piece of news, which is completely related to this is that there's going to be a bright side to having to buy these books. And that's the fact that DC has kind of listened to everybody's begging, and they said, okay, you like the black ring that we gave away with Blackest Night number one so much, now we're going to be giving away rings from every single different core. And... I kind of had a feeling that this was going to happen only because they made the rings to go with the special limited edition figures from uh, San Diego Comic Con, the different colored Hal Jordans. Oh, are these the same, the same yeah. model and everything? Absolutely. Huh. I figured, well, if they already have the mold for that, then chances are we are going to see it at some point in the future. And here they are definitely doing that. And what they're doing is 
retailers for every certain amount of issues they order of these tie-in issues, they can buy a certain amount of rings. So for every 25 copies of Booster Gold 26, you get a bit, you can order a bag of 50 Agent Orange rings. Or for every 25 copies of Doom Patrol number four, you can order a bag of 50 Sinestro Corps rings. Now, I know there's probably some really obvious math twist to this, but just going by those statistics, it makes it sound like, well, obviously there will be enough for enough rings for everybody who orders an issue of these books. Because it's like, oh, they're ordering double the amount of rings for the amount of pre-orders for the actual issues they're getting. So, you know, everybody's going to be happy, but it's probably not going to work out that way. Yeah, well, they always... Well, all the shops by me have the kind of thing where it's one per customer and, you know, first come, first served. So, yeah, who knows? Now, there is also the, the little... Uh, add on here that, you know, because retailers have to actually order and pay for these rings, that they're more than likely not going to be free, so they're, they might be charging for them, and like, I don't know about you, but, like, if I had to pay 50 cents or a dollar for a ring, you know, that wouldn't be anything bad. I would get a couple. But if they're going to charge more than that, it's like, I'll either get one or none at all. Yeah, I don't really know how that's going to work. I, I imagine... I, I kind of figured that if they're ordering 25 copies of Rebels number 10, and they get and they get to order a bag of 50 Indigo Tribe rings, then you know that's 25 extra rings. So if they want to yeah. give away an Indigo Tribe ring when you get that, you know, issue of Rebels, then it's a promotion for Rebels number 10. And then they have an additional 25 rings that if they want to sell on the side, they can. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder how DCBS is going to do it. If they're just going to randomly put them in the boxes, or if you're, you're going to be able to, like, well, order no, them. It's Each comic is attached to a different color ring. Oh, does that mean you're automatically going to get a ring with your issue? Well, not necessarily. Like, they may have that as an add-on. Like maybe you'll pay two ninety nine, three ninety nine, whatever for the issue. You know, you'll get a discount off that for DCBS. But if you want it with the ring, then you don't get as much of a discount, kind of thing. Who knows? Oh yeah, I mean like like will you know using Rebels again? If you're ordering Rebels, if you click the you know I'll take one issue thing, will you also have the option of clicking a little box that says yes? I'll also be paying for one, you know, what, or Indigo Ring, or whatever it was. Yeah, Rebels comes with the Indigo Ring. I, I would imagine that's probably how it's going to go, but, you know, we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> the way the breakdown goes, though, is you order Doom Patrol number 4, you get the Sinestro 4 rings. Booster Goal 26 gets you an orange ring. Rebels number 10 gets you an Indigo Ring. Outsiders 24 gets you a Star Sapphire ring. And then they also have, for every 50 copies of these other books, you can order a bag of 50 of the other rings. Justice League of America 39 gets you a bag of red rings. Blackest Night number 5 gets you a bag of Green Lantern rings. And Adventure Comics number 4 gets you the eagerly anticipated Blue Lantern rings. Ooh. 
are there any of these, uh, you know, rings notwithstanding, are there any of these these issues really jumping out at you as, like, oh, I want to read this? Because, like, I can tell you right now, like, there's some here that I do want to read, and they just happen to be in books I read already, like Adventure Comics and Doom Patrol. But I'm, like, I'm really anxious to try Rebels number 10, because that's a series that, you know, I almost got the first issue of, but I had to cut something from my order, so I just missed the boat on it. And, I mean, like, like look at this thing. This is, it's 40 pages, and that's, like, a single story. It's not a backup story thing either. Right. And it's a Blackest Night tie-in, and it's a book, it's a sci-fi space book I wanted to try anyway, so I'm, I'm excited to read that. Yeah, well... Doom Patrol, I haven't gotten issue number one yet, but I definitely plan on picking that up soon. Oh, it's fun. So, yeah, so I'll be, you know, by then I'll probably be hooked on Doom Patrol. I've been getting Booster Gold already. Rebels number 10, you know, I'll try that. I'll check that out. I don't really care too much about Rebels, but, you know, if it's a Blackest Night tie-in, then I was already going to buy it anyway. Outsiders, I haven't gotten at all since the last series ended, so that'll be interesting to check out and see how they're doing. And, Black, you know, Justice League of America, Blackest Night tie-in, I'm definitely going to buy that no matter what. And Adventure Comics number four actually looks really, really interesting. Yeah, the, the, the cover right. on that looks amazing. If you're listening to this and you haven't seen my thread on the forum where I just go on about how awesome the first issue of Adventure Comic was, just get, get this book. At least get the first issue of the current run. Because it is just... I've never liked the character Superboy. And this is probably my favorite non-Lantern book. I, I really like the backup story in Adventure Comics number one. That's what, oh, uh, yeah. that's what hooked me. Starman, yeah. More so just the last panel. Oh, the... Yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> We're not even going to say what it is. You have to go buy it, so there. I don't know, maybe we should mention it since we are the Lantern cast. Oh, maybe. Well, should we? We'll wait to a future episode. Yeah, because we do have to do an episode on, uh, you know... <laughs> teasers. Um... <laughs> But yeah, I mean, and uh, that and Superman Batman looks awesome, because it's got, uh, it's Bizarro and Man Bat fighting Grundy. <laughs> that's, that's great. Yeah, yeah, I'll be looking forward to that one. So the only ones I'm, I'm not, I'm really on the fence on, like, like I'm really not thrilled at the idea of sitting down reading for Outsiders, Teen Titans, and uh, Justice League, and Booster Gold. But, you know. Yeah, yeah, the Teen Titans one. I think that'll be interesting just because they have so many people to choose from for that. You know that you're going to come across somebody that you'll think is interesting at some point in that book. I mean, honestly, if I, if it might just come down to, is there a specific ring attached to this issue that I just really want? Yeah. Uh, yes. I want them all. So... You get them all? We have yeah. to take a picture of you with them on all your fingers, like Crazy Hal on the cover of, like, 49. Well, yeah, like I mentioned on the forum, what I'd like to do is get, like, 13 different Blue Lantern rings and oh, recreate that cover. Also, I really just want the blue and the green. Let me see what I have to buy to get that. <laughs> I, defi I definitely, definitely want orange and red. You're so big on the orange, that's weird. <laughs> 
I want it. Oh, and you know what? Let me call you out on this, Mr. Uh... I think in a previous episode you were all like, oh, no, the orange figure is better because he wears the full costume in the issue and he only wears part of the blue. And then you get to the last issue of Agent Orange. He only wears part of the orange costume. Whereas when he's fighting Larkley, he's, he's got the full blue costume on. So, there. Okay, you. you're, you're, wait, wait, you're talking about the, the last issue of that series? Yes. Well, in that issue... Well, first off, on the cover, it has Hal in the full orange costume. Oh, that's the cover. Second, in the issue, he's Hal is actually wearing a Green Lantern costume, just colored blue. Didn't it change for the last, that one big panel where he's, the ring works? Um... Yeah, I'll look it up later. Yeah, I don't, uh... I don't have that right next to me right now, so I can't check. We can just assume I'm right. Yeah. Yeah. We, we could just assume that, you know, maybe I'm right this time. Oh, that never happens. Come on. Okay. Uh, so now we're going to take a quick break, and we will be back with our main topic. You want to mention what the main topic is first, Dan? Oh, yeah, we didn't do that, did we? No, we're not gonna at be all. Talking, we're going to be talking about... The Blackest Night Tales of the Core miniseries. It's three issues, it's an anthology, it's of varying quality. We'll be right back. <laughs> and we'll be right back on that note. How many times has the thought crossed your mind that the only people reading comics are 40-year-old white dudes? Well, I'm here to break that wall down. Hello everybody, my name is Alec Barry and I am the host of Teenage Wasteland, a solo cast each and every week showcasing my experiences growing old with comic books, movies, and music. You can find my show at TeenageWastelandPodcast.blogspot.com or you can go over to the comic forums at thecomicforums.com and find the show thread. You can also find the show in iTunes and you can follow me on Twitter at Twitter.com slash Alec underscore Barry. I hope that you all join in and listen and I will see you on the boards. Hi everybody, we're back from our break and now we are about to tackle Blackest Night Tales of the Core, the three-issue miniseries. What did you think of the series as a whole, Dan? As a whole, I thought... Well, first of all, I think it's a fantastic idea. Right. And I would love it if... You know, if if they could have a longer miniseries, like, they wanted to give us six issues like this, great. If they wanted to give us, like, a co-feature in the back of the Lantern books that was basically one or two of these kind of stories each month, beautiful. But I think... For as good as the idea is, and for as good as some of the stories are, I think there's a definite kind of decline as you go. <laughs> you know, like a really strong first issue, an alright second issue, and a, uh, what the, uh, we'll try not to curse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a kind of, what the hell last issue. <laughs> uh, okay, well... In issue one, we get a tale of St. Walker for the Blue Lanterns. We get a tale of Mongol, who becomes a Yellow Lantern. Uh, it's uh, him as a kid, though. And then the yeah. third story we get is the Indigo Tribe. And uh, as far as creative teams, the first one, St. Walker, is done by Jeff Johns <laughs> and Jerry Ordway. The Mongol story is Peter Tomasi and Chris Samney. And the Indigo is, again, by Jeff Johns, this time with Rags Morales on art. So let's, You know what? What? I can guarantee 
that both of our favorite stories were in this issue. Oh yeah, yeah. Like without a like, doubt. I and I they're both different. Let let well, let's just get into this discussion before we start guessing here. Let's uh let's All take right. it let's take it story by story. So uh okay. Saint Walker. Yeah. This this was my favorite of the whole miniseries. Yeah. Yeah, cuz I mean this yeah, I uh, also it doesn't hurt that this is the first we're seeing of any Blue Lantern or Orange Lantern stuff in what feels like forever, because that's the plotline I'm most interested in in the whole War of Light. <laughs> yeah, but like you get to see, like just what it takes to even become eligible for a Blue Ring, and how like like Saint Walker has to like he sees his entire family die in front of him one at a time in like torturous ways. He sees his entire world is literally burning to the ground around him. He loses everything, but he, in the face of that, he still keeps his hope. And he keeps trying to instill hope in the rest of his people when they are just rioting in the streets until they finally, he just says it long enough and consistently enough that like they finally listen to him and that he gives his people hope when they realistically should never have any and like, that is what attracts the blue ring to him like that's that's just awesome like it really hits home why you know why there are only like four blue lanterns at this stage instead of hundreds yeah these these you know, these guys are special yeah like the thing that i loved about this story i mean aside from the fact that it was a, it was a decent story i enjoyed it definitely the artwork in this was beautiful absolutely beautiful like, I think it really told, it helped really tell a tale of, you know, this person just going through this immense suffering while there's, you know, this beauty all around them as their world is dying. And and then, like, you know, through their hope, their their world is eventually saved. But, like, this this whole, you know, there's two pages where they're at the, uh, the lake, you know, and, and, like, the water's rushing by and everything like that. Like, that's such a cool visual. I like that so much. Yeah, and I like I'll, I'll admit I've I really haven't liked any of Jerry Ordway's more like current work like like his his Justice Society stuff like I don't know it was it just felt weird to me but here it actually looked really appropriate for everything you know yeah like like you said that this this story definitely helps demonstrate the the magnitude of what it actually means to get a blue ring, like to actually be chosen for a blue ring. Yeah, and they even managed to give us a couple little, not well, kind of Easter eggs, like the whole like Saint Walker's blood or sweat or whatever it is. It's it's blue. It looks like he's bleeding hope, you know. And how on like the first page of the story, you see him holding his little Bible thing, and you know it's it's obscured, but you could almost say that it might have the the hope symbol on the cover. Where's that? On uh the title page for this thing, like it's the it's the second page of the issue with the bottom right panel. Oh I see, I see. Yeah, but this is that yeah, this was absolutely my favorite story of the whole the whole bunch. Yeah, I'm just taking a second to uh just kind of enjoy it a little more. I, like the first page where they're fighting the orange lanterns too. Like that's just a, such a cool visual. And like like you said, it's like we have been kind of wondering 
what's going on on that planet, and this is our first little glimpse into it. So, okay. And they flat out spell out that, yeah, Larflees is not there. Right. It's just, like, constructs, which I know some people thought he was there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it, it also is interesting because it tells us that Larflees can send a, like, an orange avatar of himself as well. Well, that's how he, or he talked to the Guardians originally in the, when, uh, you know, when he branded Stell and sent him back to Oa. That's true. Mongol Jr.? Mongol Jr., yes. I, I love this story. Yeah, I love, the, this is really good art in here. Yeah. And you might think it's, like, a weird choice. Like, okay, telling a story about Mongol when he's already been spotless so much in uh, Green Lantern Corps. Let alone telling a story about him when he's like ten years old, yeah. but I think I think I've seen him said this on the forum. Like, I think this was necessary yeah. because you know how many people know or even remember that this is not the same Mongol that blew up Coast City. This is his son. Yeah, no, definitely. I like, and it is. It's just a fun little story, and I like you said the art. Not only is the art good, but it's very, very, you know, it suits the story so nicely because it's almost like like a Saturday morning cartoon style, you know, which is cool because it's telling the story of, like, this kid who admires his father so much, and yet he goes on to do, like, such horrific things. It, it creates, like, such a cool contrast like that. Yeah, like, maybe he... You know, maybe part of the reason he's doing all this as an adult is to, you know, overshadow his father or, like, prove that he's just as good as the old man, if not better. Definitely. Yeah, without a doubt. The one thing that I didn't really like too much, and this has nothing to do with the story or art, but, like, right after the story, you have this, like, bio sheet of the Sinestro Corps. And there's no Mongol. <laughs> and there's no Mongol to be found on it at all. So that's that's you know, I guess kind of poor planning. Yeah. Uh, shall we go to the next one? Yep. For the one that I'm predicting is your favorite of the miniseries. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, this is our first glimpse at the Indigo Tribe. I'm surprised you didn't start out with this one. <laughs> well, you know, going in order. Yeah. This. I mean, it's so cryptic. But it's also, like, just so interesting because we finally get our first taste of the Indigo Tribe. So, this whole story takes place in Sector 3544, which I had checked, and that is not the same sector that they left Mother Mercy, the planet Mother Mercy. Yeah. So... Well... If you think about it, because in that uh, ring quest, Mongol was standing on the surface of the planet with a big yellow bazooka, just shooting Black Mercy plants throughout space, so they could have landed anywhere. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true, but uh, going by the concepts of well, my theory that the Mother Mercy planet was going to be the homeworld, unless she moved, yeah. then why would you have this many indigo lanterns in one spot? I, I don't know if I was really basing this on anything, but I the way I think of the Indigo tribe is that they're kind of nomadic. Like, just because they're on this, there's this group of them on this planet right now, that doesn't mean that's where they live necessarily, or where they originated, or spend most of their time. It's a possibility. Because, I mean, 
on the first page when um the staff all of a sudden lights up with the indigo symbol. Yeah. Like I took that to mean like that's how they that's kind of their divining rod to people who need them to intervene, you know? Right. So maybe they could just be like just kind of wandering universe planet after planet and just like stopping to do their thing whenever that symbol shows up. Right. Yeah, no, I, I understand what you're saying. So, like, getting into this issue, we don't actually, we don't have a, a clear idea as far as what's going on and everything, because the whole thing is very cryptic. But, essentially, she absorbs his willpower and takes on his ability and performs a mercy killing. <laughs> And yeah, who then, saw that coming? Yeah, yeah, you. And then yeah, yeah. attempts to do the same thing with the Yellow Lantern, with the Sinestro Corps member, but he escapes. So, I mean, like, aside from, like, all the questions that, like, you know, this raises, like, okay, well, is there an Indigo power itself? Like, can the Indigo power itself actually do anything, or can it only absorb other powers? I mean, aside from that, like, the problem that I have with this issue is through almost all of the panels, the the main indigo girl is wearing a ring. And, mm-hmm. like, there's one panel, like, you know, near the beginning where she's kind of, like, got her hands, like, in such a manner that she may or may not have the ring. So, like, that one you can kind of disregard. But the very final panel, there is, like, very, very clearly no ring whatsoever. So, I mean, like, is that an aspect of the story, or is that just an art mistake? I'm inclined to think an art mistake, just because, I mean, look at look at Rage of the Red Lanterns, like the last issue or so of that, when we couldn't figure out what was going on with, like, the red and the blue ring, you know? Right. So I mean, it, yeah, it is it is vital to show like if this character has a ring, they should be shown wearing it. But you know, sometimes like it can be a little detail that just gets lost. Also, it'll be interesting to see what they do with the action figure because when we saw the prototype on display in the New York Comic Con, she absolutely did not have a ring on. Yeah. I don't think the Star Sapphire did either, did she? The original Star Sapphire figure that came out before they introduced the Star Sapphire 4 did not have a ring, but the new one will. Hmm. I think the big question here is like, alright, so she she can scan someone and tell, okay, what's their, like, what's the strongest emotion or whatever in them? and then channel that. How does that relate to compassion? Well, I mean, that's simple. That's, um, part of compassion is empathy. Mm. And if you're empathetic towards somebody, then you can kind of, like, feel their emotions. Okay, that makes sense. So, like, they're using something like an empathic ability to absorb and, you, you know, channel and use the other core's powers. You know something that I really didn't even think of until right now? What? 
which you probably already did. There's a really interesting parallel between what this Indigo Lantern does here and what the Black Lanterns have been doing since they showed up. Both groups are able to, you know, look at you or come into contact with you in some way and tell, you know, what's in your heart, what emotion is strongest within you, and then act on that somehow. Yeah, well, that's that's only assuming that the Indigo Lanterns are actually, like, absorbing what you're feeling. It may, like, because we've only seen it so far work with two different members of, you know, two different cores. And they kind of, like, absorb the green energy from a Green Lantern. So, I mean, like, obviously that, well, not so obviously, actually. They could be absorbing it from the car- you know, the person themselves, or from their, you know, their the ring. ring. Yeah. And with the Sinestro Corps member, like, they very clearly just absorbed the energy directly from his ring. Hmm. So, that's gonna, that, that's, that's still questionable. Well, I think the thing I like the most, like, the most thought-provoking part of this whole thing is the fact that the Green Lantern ring is unable to translate the Indigo language. Right. Which is, isn't supposed to be possible because the ring is supposed to be able to recognize basically every language that exists. Which says to me, like, either their language is really, really, really old or really, really, really new. Or just something the Guardians want to keep under wraps. Or it was a language that's, like, created by another Guardian. And since it's created by a Guardian, they were able to put the, uh basically like the whammy on the ring so that nobody would be able to understand it. Hmm. I don't know. Issue two now? Issue two. Okay. So this one we got an issue starring the Red Lantern Blease by Jeff Johns, art by Eddie Barrows. We get a story on... Star Sapphire, Carol Ferris, also by Jeff mm. Johns, and art by Gene Ha. And the third story is The Orange Lantern, Bloom, by Peter Tomasi, art by Tom Mandrake. Yeah, Blease is that, uh... She's, she's been in pretty much every single group shot that has Red Lanterns in it. She's like, uh... She's got, like, the kind of skeleton angel wings kind of thing. She's got, like, the bat face... That wing face kind of kind of deal going on, and it turns out like she started her life as like what she was the the princess of this this beautiful planet. Like I think they even say in here, uh, it's it's second only to Odom in its beauty. So that's that's saying something big right there. Right. Where it's like this uh, this race of bird people. It's it's a completely terrible society. <laughs> where, this this like sect of bird people like like they're the royalty they they rule everything because they can fly and they're not restricted to the ground like all the peasants and they live up in their royal coop or whatever the hell they call it while all everyone else who's like a ground dweller it, they're the slaves and the commoners who live like miles below they they basically they set this up with you hoping something terrible happens to these people <laughs> and it does <laughs> yeah this is 
this is like takes place basically like during the Sinestro War, because like Ranks shows up at their doorstep, she gets kidnapped, and well, that that's like one little thing that that I picked up on. Since this takes place like basically during the Sinestro Corps War, because after that Ranks was destroyed, then you know like this story ends up finishing out while Ranks is still around. So she gets a Red Lantern ring before the end of the Sinestro Corps War. Which, if you remember from issue, let's see, issue 28, that's when we see that you know, this issue is like three issues past the end of the Sinestro Corps War. That's where we finally see Atrocitus, like, generating the, uh, you know, his Red Lantern ring. So it kind of starts leading to the question, like, okay, well, how did she get a ring if Atrocitus hadn't actually done that yet? Unless what happened on Ysmalt with Atrocitus, you know, creating the Red Lantern battery actually takes place before they say it's taking place. Well, when I think back to the Rage of the Red Lantern special, you know how, like, the first, the opening scene is just Atrocitus forming his ring. You know, and the whole the pool of blood and all that. And then, like, two scenes later, it shows him in, like, this two-page spread with, like, surrounded by Red Lanterns. So, like, I, d- I don't know when they specifically take place in relation to each other, but I took it to mean that, like, all right, that scene of Atrocitus forming his own ring happened, like, a significant time before that next shot of him with his core, you know? So I, th- I think it's kind of like a, there's like a sliding scale of when Atrocitus manifested his ring, you know? Mm. Well, that's something that we, uh, we just don't know right now. And when the, the Green Lanterns attack, not Mogo, when the Green Lanterns attack ranks, she makes a break for it. Her wings have been basically ripped out by, uh, the yellow lantern who captured her and you know her rage at him when he goes to kiss her attracts a red ring and in probably the worst possible way to die she vomits her fire blood into his mouth and then just like slits his throat what i really liked about this story is how you know within the first like two pages two three pages they make a point of showing you like all right this is one of the most beautiful, you know, allegedly perfect places in the universe with all these great looking people and it's all waterfalls and cool looking birds and all that. But it's really like, like they're still just awful people. Like you, I, you have a hard time feeling sorry for her because, you know, she's okay with slavery. She's okay with be, everybody being a lower class than her. It's this whole thing is like it's it's a literal, almost a literal case of like the whole you know beauty's only skin deep, saying you know. That's interesting because I I hadn't even like really picked up on that too much. Like I, I guess I picked up on aspects of it, but not the whole thing. Because like I like I read it like you know, I can't argue with that, and she's just like pissed off. It's like well of course you can't argue because you're a slave. It's like meaning like yeah. the kind of thing where like well I wish you could argue, 
because that would at least provide some sort of, you know, intelligent discussion. I mean, I think the catalyst for her becoming a Red Lantern was the fact that now all of a sudden someone else is treating her the way she was treating, you know, that frog dude at the beginning. Where, like, she is just, like, this, this, like, lower life form, basically. She's there to serve and service someone else. And yeah, she... But, but I, I, don't, I don't necessarily believe that, because, you know, the, the slave frog is saying, it's like, you know, you have the most beautiful face in seven systems. And she's saying, you know, she actually says, yes, I know, but my face is not me. Meaning that, you know, like, she's not as superficial as, you know, the only thing about me that matters is, um, you know, looks. It's not the only thing. Like, I'm more than that. You know, I have a personality and I have this, that, and the other thing. Yeah, but at the same time, look at her face. Like, look at the look of disdain on her face when she tells him, like, you know, of course... He says, like, I can't argue. She said, of course you cannot. You are but a slave. Like, look at her. She's, like, got disgust right there. And then she flies off, like, leaving him in the dust. But does she have a look of disgust as far as, it's like, you are but a slave and you don't, you're not as good as me? Or is it the kind of thing where, like, you know, she doesn't actually believe that there should be slavery? And it's like, you are but a slave. And that's the look of disdain that she's giving towards the concept of slavery. I don't know, I think the fact that she becomes a slave herself means that, like, she was okay with having slaves. You know, and, like, the fact that her slavery is what made her angry enough to attract a red ring means, like, okay, this is her getting a taste of her own medicine. Uh, I don't know. Shall we end on that note for that story? Yes, let's. (laughs) Thank God. Tell, tell, Tell us about Carol. Oh, yeah, yeah. This this was an odd one. Yeah, she, I did like, not like this one at all. Yeah, I mean, like this. Okay, first off, it's art by Gene Ha. Gene Ha is like he's a fantastic artist. Like he's an amazing artist. Like he did the the variant cover to one of the earlier Justice League of America issues from the current series. It was like this mm-hmm. kind of painted cover with the uh, red arrow. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Where he has, like, the fiery arrows and stuff being shot at him or something. Yeah, I don't remember the, the context of it, but it's like this painted cover. Gorgeous cover. Gorgeous. And then we're looking at this, and it's like... It's basically a talking head piece. You know, like... Why would you... Oh, first off, why would you give this to Gene Ha? And second of all, like... This isn't the Gene Ha that, like, produces, like, amazingly beautiful work. This is just like, okay, we need a a female flying an airplane. And we basically just need to see her face in a bunch of shots from different angles. The artwork in this is, like, it's so... It's it's boring is what it is. It could be so much more. The, The last page where you see, like, the actual Star Sapphire planet... Like, that, that's a really cool, you know, visual. But aside from that, like, you know, I thought art-wise, it, it wasn't that visually engaging. And then story-wise, she's basically having a conversation with a star sapphire ring. And, 
Like, the entire point of this conversation is to, like, catch people up. Like, it's not telling you anything new. It's just like, okay, if you haven't been following, you know, Green Lantern and you're curious mm-hmm. about who Carol Ferris, you know, Carol Ferris is, you know, read this and it's going to give you the whole backstory and not much else new. Here's what I hated. <laughs> now, we all we all knew Carol was coming back to the Star Sapphire. Like, even if you didn't see any of the issues where it directly stated it or seen any previews or whatever, you could pretty much assume that she was coming back. Right. But, like, until now, they haven't told us why. The one thing they did hit home with us is that the Star Sapphire Violet Rings let you choose to serve. They don't just put themselves on you and take you. You get the choice. So it becomes a question of, all right, why would Carol choose to make this part of her life again after all the crap it's given her? So I was thinking to myself, you know what? When you get right down to it in terms of power and experience... You know, Carol, like, I kind of look at Carol like a veteran, you know? Like, she's, you know, like Sinestro, she's one of those people that when the S really hits the fan, I'm I'm trying, guys, (laughs) when it really hits the fan, you, like, she's one of the people that you want to be able to stand behind. So I, I, I was hoping, I was hoping that someone be it a ring or another sapphire or whoever would would like tell her just what the hell is actually going on out there what the stakes are and based on that she would realize like you know what if i jump in i can probably help end all of this faster we can there can be less loss of life we can just we can just stop this i'll i'll sacrifice myself to end this conflict sooner and then I'm reading this, and basically, like, her entire reason for becoming a Star Sapphire again is that she's not over Hal. And that just irritates the hell out of me. Because, like, they're, they have been, because they, they have their relationship, they're on again, off again, love triangle thing the whole superhero stereotype for years and then the status quo gets shaken up they let carol go off and get married and she's she's moved on with her life and then hal comes back but they're like they're still friends they still know each other's secrets and they have all this baggage and history but they that just makes them closer friends and their confidants they can tell each other things that they can't tell anyone else i really like that i really liked that growth to their relationship because I mean it's it's something I can respond to because like like I'm not going to go into intimate detail but I was involved with somebody for a number of years it ended and it ended just well enough that you know here it is years later and I can still talk to her about stuff that I might not be able to talk to about with other people and I thought it was really refreshing that they were giving Hal and Carol that kind of relationship that they were letting those two grow in that way and then this like I read this as just a massive step backwards for this character and like I it seems like such a small like it, it, it makes it, it almost trivialized the fact that she's a star sapphire again to me it made it so small I don't, well, I don't, I'm just, wait, I'm well, what do you... 
yeah, yeah. He, like, he, here's here's one more aspect to what what you're saying. Like, she's having this whole back and forth with the ring, and the ring shows her a picture where Hal is, you know, getting beaten up, and her entire decision comes down to, like, what, what was that that you just showed me? Is that happening to Hal? Is Hal in trouble? The ring doesn't even answer. And she's like, well, there's a chance that Hal might be in trouble. So, like, this power, this whole force that I wanted so badly to get out of me in the past because it caused me to, you know, murder people and just hunt people and go after people and blah, blah, blah. If there is a slight chance that Hal Jordan who is a Green Lantern, and he goes up against trouble every single day, there's a slight chance that he might be in trouble. So, yeah, sure, I'll take a ring, and now I'll go after him. I mean, hell, he was getting into... He was breaking into places and being right next to fiery explosions since the day they met when they were, like, ten. Yeah. He's an adult, and he has superpowers. He'll be okay. Yeah, <laughs> really. Yeah. And, you know, this is completely unrelated... But, like, and, and I understand, you know, you know, the the TNA factor and that it's mostly, me- like, males reading this. But, like, it it's it bothers me. Like, the, the current Star Sapphire uniform, like Carol has, it bothers me. <laughs> Just because, like, you know, you read Green Lantern Corps, where they've been spotlighting the Star Sapphires. Absolutely everything this Corps is about is love romantic love like pure love not lust not sex it it like nothing about what this core supposedly stands for has to do with like the physicality of of love about like consummating anything or whatever it's it's i mean it, when you look at someone like miri who like yeah it's it's, it's a sexy outfit but it's a, it's more modest like that works with this core more i think and like this is like i don't know it's like they just wanted to throw in some more naked ish women for the hell of it yeah yeah i don't i don't really get the whole concept of you know why mary is like so covered up and then you have carol ferris you have fatality you know they're the ones that are just kind of like letting it all hang out yeah, I don't know. This story's stupid. <laughs> yeah. I like the one thing that we do take from this is that well for one, the Sinestro Corps is coming to attack the Star Sapphires. And, I know. I'm looking forward to that issue. And also it, the the ring is telling her uh telling uh Carol that she has the potential to become the most powerful among the Star Sapphires you have the ability to lead them into war alongside the Green Lantern Corps. Ooh, an alliance. I think I missed that. Right, yeah. So, I mean, like, that's... She has the most... She has the potential to become the most powerful, which means that chances are she's... Yeah, exactly. She's going to host the Predator again. Hmm. And you have the ability to lead, so she's going to become the leader of the Corps, and she's going to form an alliance with the Green Lantern Corps 
which I think is going to be tremendously, you know, important down the road. Yeah. Plus fun, since, you know, the Guardians wanted to blow up their planet and all. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, as much as I didn't like the story, like, that one little itty-bitty text bubble gives us, like, three things to look forward to in the future. So, I mean... Oh, yeah, and, and, and I'm still... Like, I'm still the most interested in the Violet Core. Because I think they have the most potential to just freaking explode. <laughs> but, I, I don't know. Like, there's just so much about the way Carol gets back that just I completely disagree with. That I think is just completely just bad and wrong for the character. Okay, so the, the final story in this issue is... Bloom, the Orange Lantern. Yes. What's... I like this. I like this a lot. I loved it, yeah. It really gave Bloom, like, a lot of character depth. I was really surprised. Yeah. Because he's, like, he is the big head with tentacles that... You know, he, he's the one in that kick-ass splash page with Stell from the Agent Orange first issue, the one who eats him, kind of. He, he's just, like, when he's alive, he's just kind of drifting through space, landing on planets and demanding that the population feed him everything they have if they want to live. And then he gets but full and he leaves. It's only everything of value. Yeah. yeah and, like, he gets to one, like, really poor planet. All they value is, like, their children. Yeah. So he's like, what, what, the, what the hell are you doing? They're like, well, we value our children most of all. <laughs> we don't have anything else. He's like, uh, all right, feed them to me. And then, like, he, when he goes to leave, he spits them out. So he, like, he doesn't kill any of the babies. He looks, we, he looks a lot different in his, uh, like, pre-orange look. I like how his origin is as simple as he crashes on Okara and Larflees kills him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's it. Goodbye. Did you wish at all that this story was, like, one or two pages longer? Yeah. Yeah, that would have been nicer. You know, like, I guess it might have been cooler to get, like, another page, like, with him talking to Larflees or something like that, or, you know, get to get another page of him going to another planet or something like that. It would have been cool to see, but I don't think it was necessary. Well, I mean, like, when he crashes on Okara, it's like he's talking to Larflees, and then all of a sudden, he's just sinking into the ground, and it's like... Well, wait, why did that happen? And then I remembered, oh, right, right, the, the greed on that world, the ground grabs stuff, okay. And then, I mean, I, I think he should have gotten a bigger, you know, Orange Lantern reveal shot, you know? Where we actually got to see him, like, full-bodied, quote-unquote, because he doesn't have a body yeah. as an Orange Lantern. Or the construct of him, you know? Yeah, yeah, well... Overall, though, I really like that that story. That that was definitely yeah. one of the highlights for the series. Yeah, it was really cool. And that's this is like really what I wanted out of it. I wanted like just random members, you know? Yeah, like... well, th this is the second Orange Lantern, you know, tale of the core story we've got, right? Glomulus. Yeah, the the Glomulus story was fantastic. Oh yeah. The the one penciled by Raphael Albuquerque of Blue Beetle fame. Yeah, the the Orange Lantern stories just kind of like lend themselves to to be more interesting because of the nature of Reed. 
Oh, yeah, and, like, you can portray it with... You can, like, greed is something that... It doesn't have to be sinister, you know? It can be... It can Like, with Glomulus, greed can be kind of innocent. With, um... Uh, Bloom, it can be... You know, it can be tempered with... With, uh, like, a degree of caring. And with and, Or it can be just... Like, just all-encompassing, like with Larflees. I mean, it's so many different degrees of greed out there. Right. Like, you could tell almost any kind of story you want with it. So. So. Shall we... <laughs> shall we go to number three? Well, before we go, before we go to number three, uh, it's just like, you know, it'd be good to note that at the very end of issue two... There's a two-page kind of like text kind of thing where Ethan Van Skyver gives a rundown of how he designed the symbols the way that he did, which I, I think we have yeah. actually mentioned in the past on the uh, the show. Yeah, they did a similar article with Newsarama that pointed out like a lot of the, pretty much the same things. Right. My favorite thing about this two-page article is how he's credited as Ethan Fanskyver of Sector 2814. I think I like that more than you did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, because I didn't catch that at all, actually. Oh, that's clever. For the, for the interesting discussion, issue three. Uh, Here yes. we get a story of Kilowog by Peter Tomasi and art by Chris Samney again. A uh, story of Aresia, also by Peter Tomasi, art by Mike Mayhew. And we get Blackest Night number zero again. Yeah, the the director's cut commentary DVD extra dealy thing. Right. Now, now did, they, nothing ever said they were doing that, did it? No. Because, no, like, I've, I've, I distinctly remember Jeff John saying something to the effect of, like, like he loves these Tales of the Core things, he wishes they could just keep going, how they have so much material for stories, and then we get this one, it has two stories, and then a reprinted issue with, like, DD commentary. It's like, what, what, why, like... This is the kind of thing that should be like back matter for a trade or something. Like, they put this in the freaking Agent Orange hardcover for. Sure. Yeah, really. And like, I did read it just to see if there was anything worthwhile, and there really wasn't. No, no, not at all. Um, so what you go? We'll, we'll get there. We'll get that down. Let, yeah. let, let's let's start at the beginning. What did you think of the Kilowog yeah. story? I actually kind of liked it. Yeah. I, well, first of all, the art was gr- the art was really good. This is the same dude who did the Mongol Junior story in the first issue. Yeah. And I th- I honestly I don't think I've ever seen a Kilowog, per- like Kilowog portrayed as anything but the veteran trainer. You know, it was right. nice to see him as kind of a rookie learning the ropes, and and that's why it it's it's him it's him and his uh, I guess his class of. Uh, of lanterns being taken to this planet and put through the paces by this, uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, Emery. Emery? Yeah, Emery. Emery. E R 
E-R-M-E-Y, Ermi. Yeah. yeah. He's their drill sergeant, basically. He's a real, you know, hard-ass kind of guy. And they're training, they're training, until they have to respond to an emergency distress call. A lot of lanterns are getting killed. And I thought up until then, up until, like, the scene where they arrive... I thought it was really good. I thought it like just kind of started to get a little confusing and rushed from that point. Like all of a sudden, Ermi's just Emery, whatever. He he's just like gunned down super easily, and then like on that two page, not even two page spread, but where he dies when they show up, and like all of these bad guys just kind of explode and just fire. I. I'm not sure, like, did Kilowatt do that? Did, did a random shot from another gun do that? Because then all of a sudden he's there using their weapon. <laughs> um, no, I think that was because, like, the enemies were shooting fireballs at them. And the green that's coming in are the green lanterns coming to save them. Oh, yeah, Is no, he... I mean the the very last panel. Because, I mean, those are the bad guys exploding in that last panel next to the gun. So, like, who shot at them? Um, yeah, you're right. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Ah, but then it's uh, like, I don't know. I mean, story-wise, it kind of fell apart. Yeah. But Well, oh, here's, here's my issue. Oh, first off, yeah. just a question. Um, according to this... Sinestro was a Green Lantern before Kilowog? Yeah. I mean, Based on the last page, yeah. Yeah, that's... that's that, Was that ever established or anything like that? I don't know. Like, this, like I've never seen a story about Kilowog pre-veteran status before now. Yeah. Whereas we've seen loads of references to Sinestro and his early career. So I've always just kind of looked at Kilowog as the guy who's always been there. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I don't I don't know about that. So I, I can't hold it against them or anything like that. Um, the story itself, though, well, uh, another thing that I did kind of want to point out was these this race of people that they're going up against. Mm. It, it looks very much like Mongols race. Oh, it kind of does, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that there's probably some sort of connection there that they were trying to make, or that maybe they'll make at a later date. But, like, my my main overall impression of this story was like, this is... It's so... You know, like, been done. You know, it's the story of the rookies and the one rookie who's just, you know, beat on even more so than the rest. And, you know, he really just rises up. And then, you know, the, the trainer ends up dying. But, you know, it's like, oh, but you're, you know, now you're a good soldier, you know, and, and continue on and be great, blah, blah, blah. And it just, yeah. it seemed, it seemed trite. It seemed like this is the kind of story that I've seen a million times before and you know it's just like the ending was absolutely telegraphed you know like well obviously we know that Kilowog survives and I mean like the fact that this other dude that's training them 
isn't training anybody anymore. Well, we know at some point he dies, but chances are this is the story where he dies. And yeah. as we see, it is the story that he died. And how terrible was the whole, you know, you made it. You're, I'm going to say your name right for the first time, even though I've been saying it wrong on purpose forever. And I'm going to use my dying breath to draw your badge on you with my own blood. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah you're absolutely right. Like, yeah, like, you know, yeah, I never had any respect for you at all. But you know what? I think there's a leader somewhere in there. Duh. It's like, this is why I was pushing you so hard. I knew you could do it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, there's something yeah. we've never seen before. Oh, wait, we have. Everywhere. <laughs> oh, I think over overall, I mean, I think this story... Yeah, this story is the one that made me first really notice it. But, like... Pre, the, the, did you notice like the one real connecting fiber in every single short story in Tales of the Core is basically about a character that's still alive and a dead person that means something to them. Even like like cause, so, I think like the underlining purpose of this is so that they can introduce more Black Lanterns. They'll be like person specific. In, like, the other books. Uh, well, I mean, that doesn't really mean as much with the Orange Lantern story, but... Well, no, I mean, like... Like, with Larflees, like... Larf, like, Larflees is the living one. Bloom is the dead one that's important to him because, you know, Bloom dies, Larflees has another soldier. Right. And the same goes with all the Orange Lanterns. So if, like, a bunch of Black Rings show up on Okara... Well, what about Carol know. Ferris? That story didn't really have it. Well, Carol Ferris's entire motivation for going back to the Violet was, you know, fear that Hal was going to die. Like, St. Walker, his whole family's dead. That's his... Yeah. That's hope that keeps him going. You just know there's going to be something really soon where, you know, he's going to have to deal with the Black Lanterns of his family, and that's he's going to have this crisis of faith and all that. And Mongol, I really want to see his dad and sister show up again. You know? Yeah, no, I and Aresia, like, yeah. Well, let, let's let's do that one next. Yeah. Yeah. So Aresia, did we ever know her dad was a Green Lantern before? I am not sure. Yeah, because so apparently it runs in her family. And, like, her dad's been kind of training her to take over for him because he knows it runs in their family. And she gets, like, a nice little trip to Oa where... You know, that looks like the most awkward possible way to fly with someone. Just, like, shackled to, like, <laughs> their torso. <laughs> I, you know, like, one thing that I thought was a little odd was he gets her a book written by Tomar Ray. I, I mean, like, really? Like, Tomar Ray is writing books? Well, what was this about? It was, uh... Tales of the, Tales of the Green Lantern. Or, wasn't he the keeper of the Book of Oa for a long time? That's a possibility. He was on the, uh, the Honor Guard. Yeah, because I think... Somewhere they mentioned like he was in he was pretty much like in charge of like guarding and maintaining the book or something. 
So, you know, I could see him doing something like that with nice holographic pages. Yeah. Another thing, like, as far as, like, timing-wise, this is saying that, um, let's see. You mean Guy? Yeah, yeah. Like, how old is she supposed to be here? It doesn't say at all, right? Oh, God, let's not get into that again. <laughs> yeah. Well, She's, like, I, it's... 15 or 10,000 years old. I don't know. Yeah, like... It's her birthday, and, you know, whatever, like, she's not a Green Lantern, but Guy Guy Gardner is apparently a Green Lantern at this point, and then her father dies, which, I definitely like the father's lantern. I thought that was cool. Yeah, kind of like Alan Scott's. Yeah. So, the father dies, and... Her, her uncle? Yeah, her uncle gets the Green Lantern ring instead of her. And, like, the very next panel, he's dead. Yeah, it, is it wrong that I laughed at that? Yeah, I mean, like, I, that actually... I, I, I didn't understand what that was saying, you know, for a second. Like, they introduce him as a Green Lantern, and then you turn the page and he's dead. She's just kind of, like, hanging out or something like that, and... She has her time of mourning, and then apparently she goes back home for another birthday party, and then the ring comes together. Yeah, like, this is another one that I wish had, like, another two pages or whatever, because it's moving along at a pretty consistent pace, and then all of a sudden, within the last page, they eclipse, like, a year's worth of time. Yeah. <laughs> of, no of, like, completely non-sequential events. Yeah, I mean, like, the artwork in this one, I thought, was, was pretty good. Yeah, um, definitely. But, I mean, story-wise, it was kind of, huh? Yeah, and like the, like the Kilowog one, like, like, I, the only point I can really see the story is that, you know, Aresia's dad and uncle are gonna show up with black rings. Yeah. And then we have Blackest Night Zero, again. With director's we... commentary. Did you read it? Yeah. You know, it's... I have to say, this one is difficult to talk about without cursing. <laughs> I know. We picked a... <laughs> we picked a hell of a time to address this email, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Like, this, this comic book cost $3.99. And yes. for that, we get... We get two stories... Which, you know, one of them I, I didn't like at all. The other one was, you know, the Aresia one was at least decent and decent to look at. And then this, something that they already gave us away for free. But this time, apparently, it's part of a package that we pay for and we don't even get it colored in. Yeah, I feel like we, even though they gave us the commentary, I feel like we got less than we did in the free comic book day issue. Yeah, th this is like... This is a joke. I mean, if there was some kind of, like, insights given through here, and, and if throughout the first, like, the first few pages, like, I think up until the Flash shows up, you think, like, okay, this is... Well, no, up, up through when Barry and Hal start talking, you get some good, some good comments from Jeff Johns and the editor and whatever. But, like, the whole last half of this was, like... 
like pretty much nothing but like hey how did you think of that well it came to me in the dream and you should definitely read blackest night number whatever it this is trade back matter at the very best it's it like like overall like this it, it surprised me that we got two green lanterns as a focus of the stories for number three yeah. Because I figure, like, isn't the entire point of this to highlight members of the other cores that we really haven't seen <laughs> much of except as an ensemble members? I mean, at this point, I think in, people know who Aresia and Kilowog are. At least in passing. Like, you've, you'll recognize them, or if you've read Green Lantern Corps at all, you're gonna, you'll, you've seen them get developed. But, like, like I was hoping, like... Okay, every we might get like another random yellow lantern or another random star sapphire or another you know, I just I just wanted more random members of these different cores with like yeah, like throw in like one green here or there, maybe one or two or something. But like like that's that's not the draw of this book. I mean, it bothers me that like like, the only Blue Lantern we got was St. Walker, the one we already knew the most about. And the only Violet we got was Carol, who, you know, we already know about her. I, frankly, I'm surprised there wasn't a Sinestro story in there, because, you know, we, we already know everything about him. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> yeah. Here's a Hal Jordan story, because you never get to read stories about him. Oh, dear God, no. It's, it's The poor guy must be starving for work. He never shows up anywhere. Yeah, but what you call it? Like, what, what pisses me off is that... <laughs> Here's the, the, the brilliant commentary that we get. Jeff John says, Ivan's version of Barry's funeral is superb, and look at how sad Crypto looks. At which point Eddie Braganza replies, <laughs> Who knew the dog liked Barry that much? <laughs> I will admit, I never noticed Crypto in the scene until they said that. <laughs> but still, you know, that's not good enough. I mean, I liked them pointing out that, like, these scenes of Hal and Batman just disagreeing and arguing were actually pulled from specific Justice League issues. But, like, I don't know. Like, if you're going to do... Like, I have a problem with, like, the DVD commentary and comics, like, special edition things in general anyway. They just feel like like they're unnecessary. But if you're going to do them, you would better have some really just freaking, like, amazingly insightful things to say that readers are going to care about. Otherwise, you're you're wasting paper, and you're wasting people's time. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're... I would say, like, like you could pretty much skip Tales of the Core number three. There's really no reason... I mean, they could have, like, made the one and two slightly longer and just had this be a two-issue thing. Then, then they couldn't soak $4 more for, you know, for it out of you. Or well, just up the price by a buck. I don't know. It stinks. Cause especially, like, this was the tie-in I was looking forward to the most, and the first part of it was, like, so good. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it just it, it fizzled out. Like, you know, it's like you have such a, a strong first issue, and then, you know, an okay second issue. You know, it had some it had some decent yeah. stories. Um, and, it, you know, it also had the Carol Ferris story, which wasn't good at all, in my opinion. And no. then you go to the third one, and like I said, like the Aresia story, decent. The Kilowog story, I didn't like that. The Blackest yeah. Night thing, that was just wasteful, ridiculous, and I hated 
Yeah, and I, I can't get past, like, this was written entirely by Johns and Tomasi. These are the people who have been bringing us every single good thing about Green Lantern and Green Lantern Corps from Earth to now. So it's like the bar was so... This seemed like such like an easy sell, you know? Like, it's... And it was. I mean, it's, it's it seemed like such a no-brainer that this was going to be the one tie-in miniseries you want to read. That this was going to be the one of the highest guaranteed quality because, you know, look what they've been doing with the ongoing books. And, you know, for about an issue and a half, it was. It... it I, I can't I just can't believe it fell so far by the end. Yeah. Yeah, no. Like as far if I had to, you know, give give my advice, I would say number one, definitely worth cover price. That's one that you yeah. should definitely seek out and read. Number two, um you get two really entertaining stories and another one that is okay. It's just okay. It, it wasn't it wasn't yeah. really that impressive at all or anything. So you know, I, I would still say you know check for that one. Maybe if you can get a discount on it, that would be better. Well, I could see paying cover price for number two because I mean, two out of three of the stories in it were good. Like they they, they were definitely worth reading, and they like I didn't realize how much discussion we could get out of just the first story there. Yeah, absolutely. By number one, you know. If you like number one, buy number two, but just even flat out the, skip number three. Yeah, well, even with the two-page thing that Ethan Van Skyver did on the the symbols that he came up with, you know that that also helps to make number two uh, a decent value. Yeah, number yeah. three, like I would, I agree with you, definitely skip unless you can find it in like a fifty-cent bin. And that, I would say, just, you know, you're just buying it for the Aresia story, you know? Like, the Kilowog story, like you said, like, at the end, it's just confusing. It doesn't make sense. It's completely pointless. Yeah. It doesn't, it, you don't need to read that at all. It doesn't give you any special information. Like, yeah, okay, so it introduces you to dead people that may come back for Blackest Night. But, I mean, really, like, if they're going to bring anybody back, they're kind of going to introduce who they are, you know, in that particular comic. And it's not like these comics did, like, an amazing job of making you care for the people that died. So, yeah. you know. I mean, this, like, number three is, like, the perfect example of a book that is is pretty to look at, but that's really it. Yeah. I wonder how many people are going to get number three anyway, just so they, they'll have the full, uh, tri like, triptych cover image. <laughs> oh yeah, actually that's another thing. I was listening to the Comic Book Page podcast and those guys were mentioning how on the cover of number 3 you have Atrocitus, you have the Indigo Lantern and you have Carol Ferris, the Star Sapphire. And in this comic not one of them appears. Yeah, it's nothing but Green Lanterns. <laughs> so, you know, like, yeah, if you were looking to read more about Indigo Lanterns or Red Lanterns, which you probably would want to read more about that than what's actually in this issue, yeah. good luck. I mean, it just has an image itself. I don't think there's anything too wrong with the composition. But 
like, I mean, that being said, like, like the placement of each of them seems almost arbitrary. So, like, you could have had, you know, the cover of number one. Like, everyone could have been positioned so that, you know, the cover of number one had, you know, the blue lantern, the yellow lantern, and the indigo lantern. And number two had, you know, the 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 colors that were in there. Number three is where you had Hal Jordan gearing up or whatever. I mean, it could have been made to work so that it, you could uh, identify, you know, what core is in which issue based on the cover. I don't, I don't know if this was just like a stock image that they did because it would be cool and then they put it as a cover for this whole thing. Or, I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. But yeah, like, like you said, it, it really could have been done better as far as composition-wise. I think I think the fr- the best case of this was number one because I mean, they have Saint Walker f- fighting Larflees and that happens on the first page, and they had Sinestro and you had the Yellow Lantern story in there too. But you know that's the extent of cover accuracy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in on the the, the cover of the second issue, you get. <laughs> Al Jordan, which I guess makes a two-second cameo in the Carol Ferris story, and you get Carol Ferris' hand. He's there by himself, basically. He's there's like the hands of three different people and Hal Jordan by himself. <laughs> yes. So. <sighs> well, there it is, folks. Tales of the Core, three-issue series. Yeah. Which, you know, it. <laughs> De- but definitely, definitely, definitely get the first issue. It was really good. I would, I, yeah, definitely. And on that note, we're going to take our final break and come back and close the show. Yep.
back again and uh you got anything else dan before we give our closing as we record this i just the other day got in the mail a commission from mr scott bradley i'm off the top of my head i can't remember what his forum name is um it may very well be scott bradley (laughs) (laughs) um this was this was from the uh the the uh birthday sketch threads that they do on the cgs forum every month and mine was in back in May, but he he just got around to sending it out, which is you know that's fine. I don't care. And this is this cool like bust of Hanu, the uh, the all rock Green Lantern who hates using his ring. It's just like a headshot of him with his hand up, and you can see his ring. It looks really good. Like if I remember to, I'll scan it. And I'll put it in the episode thread. Nice. So I just wanted to say a nice public thank you to Scott Bradley. Awesome. Yeah. You got anything else? Uh. I don't think so. Anything cake related? Oh. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, very subtle. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, as this is episode 23, we have actually recorded a total of 25 episodes because we had a zero episode and a one-half episode. So yep. we're at... 25 full episodes and one mini little contest episode, which we won't count as an actual episode, but it's out there. Unless we need to pad our count to get us to 300 or something, you know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so that's 25. Well, you know, it's a cool little accomplishment that we've made made it to uh, number 20, 25 episodes out. But we're going to wait until we actually have our number 25 episode to fully celebrate. I'm sure we'll do something cool. Cake! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll send you a slice. Oh, I'm sure that'll work perfectly. <laughs> yes, I'm gonna send it in an envelope. <laughs> Just jam it in there. <laughs> uh, good times. Okay. Very. So, oh yeah, and... You know, we, we normally uh, pimp out the Facebook page in the closing that we normally do, but I just want to give a little bit of extra time to that. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a Facebook page, and anytime we have any like late-breaking news that we want to get out there immediately, well, it may go on the forum, but it can go down onto the Facebook page so much easier because I can just text it directly from my phone. If you're on Facebook, then definitely seek us out. There's a link to the Facebook page right from our website, so just uh, hop on there and check out the link. Yeah, we were recently asked in the thread if we have Twitter, and we don't, but we treat the Facebook like Twitter, so <laughs> it's, it's all right there. Yes. It's as Twitter-like as the Lanterncast is ever going to get. Unless I get a BlackBerry, then all bets are off. (laughs) (laughs) 
So join the Facebook page. If you have a Facebook account, join the Facebook page. And if you don't have a Facebook account, start up a Facebook account so that you can join the Facebook page. Otherwise, just feel bad. Feel bad about yourselves. Yes, we have we have a good like 34 fans as of this recording, and we have a lot more listeners than that. So if we can uh, up the amount of fans we have, that would be awesome. Okay, Dan, let's uh, let's do the rundown now. Yeah. Well. Other than Facebook, you can also talk with us on thecomicforums.com. Just scroll down the alphabetical forum listing to LanternCast. Um, you can email us directly at lanterncast at gmail.com. We are, you know, you mentioned our website, lanterncast.com. That's where we have all of our episodes, new and old. We have. Have we started putting up artwork yet? I have some of my artwork on there right now. Okay, so you can see some artwork. I should I should really send mine over. Um, you know, there's artwork, there's bios, there's all of our episodes, there's links to things. It's it's cool. Uh, we're also on iTunes. We're nice and you know searchable and downloadable, and it works. <laughs> and <laughs> I think that's everything, right? Well, we each have our own email addresses. I'm oh, I still haven't used that. Yeah. I'm Jim at LanternCast.com. Dan at LanternCast.com. And our program director is Jason at LanternCast.com. Jason is the mm-hmm. Darth Knight on the forums. I'm Chonata on the forums. And Dan is Bland on the forums. So, uh, you know, we hope to hear from you in one form or another. Yeah, send us emails. We'll make an episode of it. <laughs> yeah. Sounds good. We're we're pretty much committed to reading anything on the air that you send us. <laughs> we're pretty much just committed. Yeah, I mean, we do. There is one email we've been sitting on just because you know the topic's kind of broad and we haven't had time yet. But you know, we will read anything you send us. Wait a second. We have a an email, and I don't know what it is. No, you know what it is. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay. You, you you were the one that said, hey, let's sit on this because the topic is too broad. <laughs> that doesn't sound like something I would say. Oh, shut up. <laughs> it's a closing music playing. It's a closing music playing yet. Let's get out of here. <laughs> uh, so long, everybody. All right. Yeah. Good night. Ever have to hear my voice?